part of our 20th anniversary celebration for Jazz Inspired, we're revisiting some of my favorite interviews. Today, with jazz pianist John Eaton, who is now 86 and still going strong. John grew up in Washington, D.C. and has spent much of his professional life there, with long associations with Wolf Trap, the Smithsonian, and his occasional forays into politics, playing concerts at the White House and once, memorably, at the Supreme Court. John is one of the last of a generation of pianists influenced deeply by the early jazz greats, Fats Waller and Art Tatum, as well as later pianists like Bill Evans. He is an educator and raconteur, making the following conversation one of my most enjoyable. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. John Eaton is an old friend from my early days in New York City. This chat gave me a wonderful opportunity to revisit that time and some of the events that shaped John's music and mine as well. Listening to your playing and immersing myself in your choices for this today brought back all these great memories of Hanratty's, our old spot where we met. Talk about Hanratty's and your memories of that, because it was great for me listening to all this. Well, you and I were actually uh, competing for the, <laughs> for, the <laughs> for the same gig, you know, when D- uh, Dick Wellstead was off and uh, Hanratty's would bring in other players. And I heard about this, may I, may I say, girl pianist who was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> may, it's true. Uh, draw, drawing more business than any of the guys. Uh, no. Uh, oh, yeah, that was true. <laughs> That was true. Aww. Yeah. And uh, fabulous stride pianist. And uh, well, anyway, uh, that, that was my God. That was uh, 25, 27 years ago. It's a long time ago. ago. Well, I That's debuted right. there in 82. I remember it specifically because that was my big New York debut. Right. And what I was thinking about is not only your great playing, but the fact that that place existed. And that it was specifically known, at least my memory of it, that it was a place for two-handed piano players. That's what they called us. And that was unusual then, people that didn't need a bass player or any of that. That's what I was thinking about. Well, at that time, in the early 80s, any place that featured solo jazz piano, and Mm. particularly solo jazz piano with a traditional bent, Mm. was unheard of. And uh, it was really Dick Wellstead who got it all started because um, Hanratty's had somehow acquired an upright piano, which they had in the bar in the front. Mm-hmm. And William F. Buckley was a friend of Dick Wellstead. And he alerted Dick that there was this employment opportunity. And Dick went down and the job was his. And the thing evolved into a real piano room where they had the piano in the back where uh, a real grand where you and I played. That is where we first met, isn't it, John? Well... I mean, that's my memory of it. Or did we meet somewhere else? No, we, did, we didn't meet there. Mm. Um, we actually met at the Cool Jazz Festival in Waterloo, New Jersey. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. 
And that was another, by today's standards, improbable uh, presentation. Um, mm-hmm. There were Ralph Sutton, uh, Dick Hyman, uh, my God, Art Hodes. Mm-hmm. Um, who are these people anyway? <laughs> well, it's fantastic. And you, and I, you and I were the young people. We were the outliers on yeah. this. And I, I think about it now because one of the great things for me, and this is all coming back to me because, of course, I was looking at your choice, your choices to play and the things that have inspired you, and we, we love the same direction of music. And that when I came on the scene, everybody was surprised that I was this young girl playing stride and now I meet young people who are playing it as part of their repertoire they don't focus on it in a big way like I did but they're still playing stride to where none of my contemporaries were when I first played at Hanratty's I mean everybody was older than I and uh, it's it's encouraging that people know this music now I think a little better than at least when I was starting of my of my contemporaries well, sweetie, you you, um, you you really were a pioneer, are a pioneer. I mean, well, I mean that's so no, nice. Thank well, you. Uh, I mean, you don't look like a pioneer. Not, not <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, you wouldn't get any gigs. Uh, <laughs> but you really, in the context of that time, there there wasn't anybody playing what you played. Mm. Well, thank you. A woman. Thank you. A woman. Of course, we're not supposed to say girl anymore. I was thinking about how much you educate because your performances are are not specifically uh, somebody saying this is a master class or something like that. But I always felt that every time you walk on stage, you talk about the music, you give a little bit of history for it, and and surrounding with that, and you've gotten known for presenting composer evenings. It'll be a Gershwin evening or Cole Porter evening or whatever. And I think of that now because I get this question a lot and I want to ask you how you would explain to someone, let's say someone who's younger and just getting into this music and they're in their 20s and they've heard one thing of jazz and they liked it and we want to entice them into this world of the great American songbook. And what do you say? We know why we love it, but what do you say to the uninitiated? What makes this music so special? What you really have to do is play it. Mm-hmm. And, and rule number two is don't trash their music. I learned right. that the hard way. I yeah. mean, don't draw the comparison, uh, any kind of odious comparison between new music and old music. Just let mm-hmm. them hear it. And you may have noticed, um, and I have begun to notice it too, is that there is a larger and larger uh, young audience honing in on this music. And the reason is that it, um, as we have uh, gone along with our respective careers, another generation has emerged. And yeah. they don't have the... Uh, they, they don't have the loyalty to the 60s and, or, or the issues of the 60s. Mm. And they, so it's all right to like Gershwin. It's, it's, they're starting from scratch. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, but that wasn't true 30 years ago. Uh, right. It just wasn't cool to admit that mm. you liked Gershwin or Fats Waller. You know. mm-hmm. And that's it's just the passage of time. And yeah. 
whatever I do in terms of talking is something, very frankly, that I do naturally, and mm -hmm. just as you do. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, giving giving lessons to somebody uh, on how to do it uh, would be difficult. Yeah, um, and, and playing is important. Let them hear the music because that's I think what so. that's what really persuades. I got rhythm. I got music. I got my gal who could ask for anything more. I got daisies in green pastures. I got my gal who could ask for anything more. Old man trouble, I don't mind him. You won't find him round my door. I got starlight, I got sweet dreams. I got my gal who could ask for anything more Who could ask for anything a problem yes indeed i absolutely do and me oh my i've got myself a problem and my problem is you don't you know i never saw it coming when this feeling snuck up from behind me oh my i've got myself a problem i must have been blind you and i were taking it so easy we were gonna be good friends Walking, talking, nice and light and breezy But that's not where the story ends Cause now you see I can't stop thinking about you Won't somebody tell me what to do? Me, oh my, I've got myself a problem And my problem is you Yes, and my problem is you I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm talking with vocalist, pianist, John Eaton. One of the tracks that I got was I Got Rhythm, and you with Jane Lenhart, your old friend, right. who's a new friend for me, relatively new, and you're talking about it. I think this was from Wolf Trap. I love this, and the two of you are talking about how I Got Rhythm and the changes are changes that that many musicians have used for their own compositions. Talk about this track. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yes, I do know. In fact, I even remember recording it. 
yeah, it was it was part of our Gershwin Gershwin thing, yeah. And, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, and Jay and Jay does his own kind of obligato original uh, song based on mm. the changes of I Got Rhythm. He's another one like you that's got that personality that can go up on stage and and create an atmosphere that brings the people into the music, which I think is so important. I mean, there's natural talkers. You're a natural talker. I'm a natural talker. But I, I don't think you have to say a lot, but you do have to create an environment that invites the people into the music, which I think some certainly jazz musicians have lost. And I think it's something that, that, that's necessary. It's entertainment. Don't you? Well, well they don't. Uh, they, they don't communicate with the audience, mm. and they they almost make a fetish of it. Uh, <laughs> of not communicating. Yeah, turning. You mean you you're not it's getting some, up there, some, John, and turning your back on the audience? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I tried that. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that work out? <laughs> you have to establish a rapport with the audience. When all is said and done, you scrape away everything. Uh, it, it appears that I'm a teacher, and you know I've done after dinner banquets for corporate groups and that kinds of thing, kind of thing, and um, I'm I'm always astonished when somebody comes up to me, and uh, I had presumed that I was doing an entertainment, and, and they come up to me and they say, uh, "We learn so much uh, mm. from, from you tonight." And of course, that wasn't the purpose of the thing. I was supposed to, it was supposed to be after dinner entertainment. So mm -hmm. the teaching, the teaching thing just sneaks in there, you know. Um, well, and I think that's a great point because I think that that people want to learn. They feel great because I have people tell me that too. I had somebody, oh gosh, just a couple weeks ago, some guy come up after a concert, and I don't know what possessed me, but I decided I would say something about what fours are and that I would be trading fours. And I explained it. I said, you know, when you talk to somebody and you have a great conversation and you find that you start talking over each other and you're extending each other's ideas before you even finish. And I went into this whole thing and said, that's what we're doing when we do fours. And I kind of expanded a little bit. And this guy came up and said, I've been listening to jazz for 30 years and I've never really understood what you guys are doing when you do that thing back and forth. And it was lovely. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I think I'm going to do this more often in my concerts. But he was so delighted that he had uh, a way into the music in a deeper way, but also that he'd learned something. And I think that <laughs> it's a funny thing to say, but learning gets a bad rap. Like, oh, you're going to force me to learn something. But people want to learn things. I think that's great. Yeah, they like they they like to feel that they're on the inside of how it's done. I mean, mm. that's really and you're you're quite right. There's a prejudice against uh, education. Um, I don't know why. It, whether it's an American thing. Oh, by the way, it's been so long since I've traded fours with anybody that I I want to tell you I just learned a hell of a lot from what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're trading for us now, darling. Yes, we're. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. And well, talk about Willie the Lion because nobody has mentioned him 
in ages. I can't even remember the last time somebody mentioned him on this show, and I'm a big fan. And you brought me Echoes of Spring, which I adore. And he was a very unusual character to me, like two different pianists when he was playing fast and bombastically. And then when he was doing gentle things like Echoes of Spring, it sounds so different. So talk about him and what you love about him. Well, um, the lion, uh, I guess I met the lion when I was in college. Mm. And uh, I, he came up with a band and he played at my fraternity. And I, I was just captivated not only by his playing. I mean, you had, you had to hear him. You had to see him. Uh, and a lot of that, of course, was personality. Mm -hmm. um, but there was something so compelling about his playing uh, that it rubbed off on you. And mm. uh, as you know, I mean, Duke Ellington, uh, after his first visits to New York, um, uh, came, came away similarly captivated. And I've, it's been said by many more important people than me that Duke Ellington's style came out of Willie the Lion, in part. Oh, interesting. And then, in turn... Uh, Thelonious Monk's style came out of Ellington, so there's a, there's a line of descent there. Thank you. 
You brought Fats Waller's version of Carolina Shout, which I have to tell you is my favorite version. Because when I learned that tune, I listened to every recording imaginable and then put my own together. Now, why is Fats' version special to you? I love this, that that's the one you chose. Well, it was one of the first, if not the first jazz piano recordings I ever heard. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think my parents uh, bought me when I was... 10 or 11 years old, mm-hmm. uh, a collection of jazz pianists, records. And I remember that recording particularly knocked me mm-hmm. out. Um, he, he uh, uh, of, of course, you play the piece. I've tried to play the piece. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you really it's play it. It's a tough it. piece. You really play, <laughs> you really play it. Well, he he, capture, he not only captures the spirit of, of what James P. wrote, uh, but he puts his own spin on it. It's just irresistible. Mm. Waller's version of the James P. Johnson composition, Carolina Shout. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Thank you. 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to podcasts of Jazz Inspired wherever you get your podcasts. And email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StrideQueen. Although we broadcast on NPR stations, we are an independent production not funded by NPR. We're funded primarily by your donations. So please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in. No gift is too small. 2020 marks our 20th year on air. Please tell your friends about Jazz Inspired and help us spread the word. I asked my guest, pianist John Eaton, about the formal study he had as a child. I was a hopeless student. Hopeless student. (laughs) I wasn't the only one. My teacher said I'd never amount to anything. Not really something you want your teacher to say to you. (laughs) Well, my my first teacher gave up on me after a year. I was six years old. And, and she and she told uh, she told my mom he will end up uh, playing in a nightclub. like that's a bad thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, no, she was very loyal to me. Actually, uh, my last teacher when I was a, a teenager, fourteen or fifteen, was Ruth Crawford Seeger, who was mm-hmm. uh, a very famous pioneering woman composer, classical composer. And uh, her uh, her stepson was Pete Seeger. And um, she taught me for a year and gave up. And then my, pa- <laughs> my father threw in the towel and said, you know, uh, this is silly because I wouldn't practice. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, the, uh, that's the curse of people who can play extemporaneously, can play by ear. Mm-hmm. Um, they they really don't want to do the other thing, and uh, that, it's that, the same old story. That's right. And I I didn't uh, study seriously until I was already embarked on a career, and I discovered Alexander Lipsky uh, was was a famous classical teacher, and he worked with mm-hmm. me. He worked with me for twenty. And when did years. you start with him? When I was about twenty four. No, oh, so uh, really, so relatively late. Yes. But you were already gigging at, at that point. Oh, um, yeah, very much so. When did you say, how old were you when you got your first gig? Um, well, I was legal. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why I asked. Uh, uh, first professional gig, gosh, probably 19. No, I was still yeah. in college then. It yeah, no, been. no, me too. I was 19. That's funny. Same yeah, thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, so you were already doing it, but you'd been playing by ear for a while and learning the standards and well, all that. Well, I, I, was, I, was uh, I was headed for a career as a college English teacher, mm-hmm. and um, that isn't really who I am or what I wanted to do, and so I started playing at night when I was in graduate school, actually, 
And then I kept fooling myself and said, well, this, this is just a sideline, you know. And then I went in the Army, and when I came out, uh, I was determined to do what I've done ever since. And I've never regretted it. My guest, John Eaton on Lady Be Good. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I know that I was having one of my moments of uh, how can I keep this going? I love the music, but how am I going to make a living? And I talked to Max Marath, of course. You know Max, don't you? Well, I've met the him. Wonderful, yes. Yeah. And I was talking to him, and he very casually said, "Ah, eh, we all think we're going to, every five years, we all have a moment we think we're going to quit, then we don't. He said, so just don't even think about it. And it was actually great advice, because he was so casual about it. That's... I remember if he'd gone, oh, yes, you're right. It's terrible. You're never going to make it. You can't pay your mortgage or something like that. But he just said, eh, don't worry about it. And I just sort of went forward. Did you ever have moments, or were you the whole time knew this was what you kept on just thinking, I'm going to keep going? Well, well now that you've brought it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tell me, tell Dr. Yeah, Carmichael. I, I would say, uh, I would say, yeah, there, there is that five-year five reassessment. Yes. Uh, <laughs> when you've lost a gig. Um, right. When your career isn't going anywhere. When you haven't right. had any reviews. Um, right. And... Uh, at one point, I, I I was tempted to go to the seminary and be uh, become an Episcopal priest. And well, see now my, that is a radical move. Ooh, it, wow! Um, a friend of mine who was an ordained Episcopal priest said, "You're out of your mind. You don't want to mm-hmm. do that." Said you you were born to do what you do, and um, uh, well, the, it's the, all, all that Max Morath was saying. And all that you and I know is that the music business, the entertainment business, is an unforgiving business. It's, mm. One would say it's an awful way to make a living, but it's a wonderful thing to do with your life. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. What a beautiful way to put that, John. And I, I love just, that. I just thought it up, too. <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, I like to say things like that because I think of musicians who listen to this show and... 
I, we are in this together, and I think we should feel like we're in it together. And I think a lot of times people don't think that way. And I had a lovely thing said to me by a singer. She sent me an email, Maud Hickson. She lives in Minneapolis. And she said she loves to read about me playing somewhere because I travel so much around the globe. And she said she always feels it's a little ping, like a submarine signal that I'm out there and that she can go forward. And it was such a sweet thing. And I think that Max saying that or you saying that and us saying it here, there is a musician somewhere in the world every minute who's discouraged, who's thinking, I can't keep doing this. So they need to be reminded of why we originally started doing it. And I think get back to the joy of it, which can be kind of burned out of you with just, I think, the slog of trying to make a living at it. And I say that in a positive way, not a negative way, if that's making sense. So I love hearing you say that, because it is a wonderful way to, lead a, to have a life. Well, the, the, uh, the bottom line is that we love what we do. Mm. And many people who are making a living doing what they're doing hate what they're doing or, right. or are indifferent to it or do it only because uh, it's a job. Mm -hmm. And we have not only a job but a calling. And maybe, right. it's, maybe it's built into the order of things that we, uh, we have job insecurity constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to quote that, John. Yeah. <laughs> job insecurity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. that's great. That's great. Now, listen about things that we love. You chose a tune that is my very favorite, Skylark. Talk about this recording. I absolutely adore this tune. Well, I had the privilege of working accompanying uh, Ma uh, Maxine Sullivan many, many times. And mm. she, she sang this tune sublimely. It was effortless to accompany her. Uh, mm. You just put your hands on the piano. And now, why was it effortless? Be specific. Um, tempo, mm. uh, phrasing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was just uh, so right. Skylark, have you anything to say to me? Won't you tell me where my love can be? Is there a meadow in the mist? Where someone's waiting to be kissed Skyline Have you seen a valley Green with spring Where my heart can go a journey in Over the shadows in the rain To a blossom Sad as a gypsy serenade 
Talk about your own singing. <laughs> I love your singing. Now, why are you laughing? Well, I'm laughing. Uh, my great friend Mark Russell, the political satirist, uh, described my singing as a cross uh, between uh, Fred Astaire and uh, Walter Mondale. No. <laughs> I, I, oh my word! What does that mean exactly? It's it's it, it was for a laugh, but anyway. <laughs> well, it got it from me. Yes. Um, you know, everybody says vocalists always say they love Fred Astaire, and composers always love Fred Astaire. He right. sang the tune with emotion, sang the melody, all of that. So talk about. It. I love your singing. Thank you, dear. And but but it's not in the class with your singing. I loved no loved your record. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you you really sang. I talk sang. Thank you. I talk sang. But I, I discovered that people uh, pe- people want to hear the words, and uh, whatever it is that I do, I was able to get away with. In fact, I even sang at the White House, and I even sang at the Supreme Court. And at, the Supreme- at the Supreme Court? Talk yes. about that. Well, talk about being afraid of being judged. They They loved it. They loved it. <laughs> well, talk about it. How did it that come only, about? It was the only nine-zero decision in, <laughs> in decades. Uh, I didn't know about this, the Supreme Court. Well, I, I was one of the few uh, popular mus- uh, artists or musicians who ever appeared there. Uh, they have two or three concerts a year. And generally... Uh, it's either chamber music or and or particularly opera singers, because ah. as you know, uh, several of the justices are are real opera buffs. Mm-hmm. So I opened the show, and everybody else on the program was a well-known opera singer. So it was it was good programming to have me come first. But <laughs> I, I sang I sang one for my baby. And, Did you yeah, really? Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, and they loved it. The uh, some of the people in the audience, the very select audience, Washington audience, mm. were, were somewhat appalled that a <laughs> that a that a saloon song was being uh, sung at the Supreme Court. It's quarter to three. No one in the place except you and. 
so set him up, Joe. There's a little story you ought to know. We're drinking, my friends, to the end of a brief episode. One for my baby, and one more for the road. You've got the routine, so put another nickel in the machine. Feeling so bad. I wish you'd make the music dreamy and sad. Could tell you a lot, but you've got to be true to your code. One for my baby, and one more for the road. I also have a recording of you on "Love Me or Leave Me." The other two people on the program were Dick Wellstead and mm-hmm. Don Yule,、mm-hmm. um, and so I had. Well, Valium was the was the pill of choice at that point, <laughs> but anyway, I. <laughs> That was the way I was able to get through. The, oh my the gosh! This show is going in all kinds of directions. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, Yubi Blake was in the audience, and I, of course, I played Memories of You,、uh, foolhardily. And,、oh, I love and, that tune. And and、uh, I finished it, and Yubi Blake shouted up, "Nice going, Johnny!" So no, that was sweet, but. The recording you're referring to there it,、uh, was made at the party afterwards.
my guest, John Eaton, on Love Me or Leave Me. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Talk about Ralph Sutton, because he's another one of this group, because when I know when I came back east, it was that was the group. It was you, it was Ralph, it was Dick. But talk about Ralph Sutton. Ralph was my hero. Aww. And when I was in college, when I was in college, there were a whole bunch of us who were aspiring stride pianists. And mm. Ralph was it. Uh, we wanted to know what he ate for breakfast. Or in fact, if he ate breakfast at all, which is unlikely. But anyway, um, uh, uh, you know, what kind of T-shirts he wore. I mean, it was yeah. to total identification. Uh, we collected all... A new, a new Sutton recording was a great event. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember one evening uh, going in Daddy Condon's where he was the intermission pianist. And as he often did, he... He was very nice to college kids. He invited me to come up and sit next to him while he played. And, and you know, I was in seventh heaven. And he, oh, that's he great. turned up he turned up the gas. He turned up the gas. And Judy, it was incredible. Oh, you, you know how that, wonderful. that feeling you get when you're hearing a truly great player. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I was just stunned at how great he was. And there he was, just playing for me, because, of course, the people in the club weren't listening. It's one of the great things, I think, about the kind of music that we do, as opposed to some of the contemporary music now, which, and this is not uh, critical of it, like you say, in, in comparing it, but if you're going to a... Um, a Taylor Swift concert or a, a Beyonce concert. This is about the spectacle of it as well as the music they're putting forth. They're dancing, they're beautiful, they're all of that. And you talking about sitting next to Ralph Sutton and having this moment, it really is about just the communication of maybe even one person, but it's, it's deep. Well, the difference is that you're, t in, in the experience you're describing, you're taking, whether, whether it's just you are the only one in the audience or whether you're part of hundreds of other people who are into it too, uh, you're, you will take something away from it um, that will stay with you um, mm. a long, long time, perhaps forever, you know. And mm -hmm. the spectacle, the spectacle is all outside you, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And when it's over, it's over. You know, and that's very different than a true musical experience. 
I always compare it to People Magazine and great literature. People Magazine gives you that quick burst of energy because you're looking at a bunch of beautiful people having fun. As a, and it, it's a little harder to pick up Nabokov, but, but if you do and you read it, it makes you think, it makes you smarter, and it stays with you. And I think that is the difference with right. music that's more sophisticated or complex and what we're talking about, that it continues to feed you in a deep way, and it's different every time you hear it. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, Judy, that you and I don't agree on anything. I mean... No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm talking with vocalist, pianist, John Eaton. A major influence on John was the great saxophonist, Zoot Sims. One of the great tenor saxophone players. And, and very relaxed, um, seemingly. Um, uh, very inventive. Uh, uh, I mean, more than inventive. Brilliantly creative, really. Um, and if you're in the audience listening to Zoot, you know, uh, you, you, you wouldn't suspect what was really going on with that rhythm. If you were behind him, you know, it was like trying to stay aboard a, a, a surfboard. You know, mm. he twisted the time this way and that way. And if you lost, you know, if your attention drifted for a moment... You, you would turn the time around or you, <laughs> or you were lost. Interesting. And I just remember after the two weeks I played with Zoot that my playing seemed to jump forward many notches. of something that uh, Zero Mostel's wife once said to me. Um, he used to come to hear me when, I, when 
he was in town when I was playing at the Carriage House in Georgetown. And uh, you think of Zero Mostel as being somebody who, some, who was so famous that he's somehow above the system. Mm. And Kate Mostella's wife uh, said to my wife, Penny, and she and I were just married. And uh, Kate said to Penny, uh, listen, honey, the only, only time you got to worry is when they're out of work. And uh, mm. th- that, that happens to everyone. Uh, and uh, we, we assume it only happens to us. But, mm. but it happens to, to the most famous actors uh, and performers. But mm-hmm. deep down, this is who we are. This is what we were meant to do. And somehow we were fortunate enough to, to have done it. And uh, the other thing is, uh, let's face it, we give people joy, pleasure. That's our role. And we get paid something. <laughs> for, for doing it <laughs> or, or, or we get paid nothing uh, as, as the case may be uh, but no never regretted it never regretted it deep down ever that's lovely that's lovely and to think of it that way I, I love how you put that and John this is such a great excuse to get to talk to you and reconnect and think about all these things And I just, I love you, I love your music and what you mean to the business and all the great things that you've done and all the people you've inspired. It's just great. I I put that back to you, double, redouble, as they say in bridge. (laughs) You've you've done marvelously, you've done marvelously well, Judy. And uh, whatever, whatever your career was in German, uh, <laughs> you think I made the yeah, right move? Yeah, you made the right move. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just astonished and so proud of what you're doing and continue to do. And it's Thank just you. been lovely talking to you. You too. Thank you. You've been listening to my conversation with John Eaton. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidoff. You can download podcasts of Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired from all the usual podcast platforms or listen at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashmon sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Paige at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. Visit Paige at 63 Main at opentable.com. 